As Matthew 21 begins, Jesus and the disciples are preparing to enter Jerusalem on the day that we now call Palm Sunday. Word has traveled. The crowds are ready. Uh, the crowd, they spread their coats in the road, and others are cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds are going ahead of Jesus, and then those who are following, they're shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when Jesus enters Jerusalem, all the city is stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds, they're saying, Well, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. All of those descriptions of Jesus point to him being the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies. And today we look at a kingdom encounter in, in Matthew chapter 21, starting with verse 12. Jesus enters the temple and, and drives out all of those who are buying and selling in the temple. And he overturns the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who are selling doves. And he says to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Lots of signs of activity. Uh, lots of hustle and bustle. But are these signs of life? Those working in the temple court area, they're selling sacrificial doves. We have to remember the time in which these Israelites are living. Uh, the temple is also a place of cultural intersection. There's lots of hubbub, lots of activity. Are these indications of a kingdom encounter? And in verse 14, we read that the blind and the lame, they come to Jesus in the temple, and he heals them. And when the chief priests and the scribes see these wonderful things that Jesus is doing, and the children who... Uh, are shouting in the temple. These are children who I'm sure were part of the triumphal entry procession. Well, they're in the temple now, and they're shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Well, the priests and the scribes, they become indignant. And they say to Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus says to the priests and the scribes, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and the nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself? These are not the signs that the chief priests and the scribes were wanting to see. We've seen earlier in, in the chapter uh, with the triumphal entry that, that folks are coming forward, and, and there's just lots of excitement, Hosanna to the Son of David. And, and you've got the blind and the lame, they're coming to Jesus. They are coming to Jesus in the temple. They are coming to encounter the King who has come. They are being healed. Those who need healing are coming to the house of God, and they are having a kingdom encounter. Jesus is doing what Matthew refers to as wonderful things. The chief priests and the scribes, they are watching these wonderful things, but they don't think they are so wonderful. They're having a hard time. Why? Well, well they can't handle it. And to top it all off, the children are shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna, that one word, means three things. Save us, we beseech you, we beg you now. 
son of David. Some in the crowd uh, are able to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of those Davidic prophecies in the Old Testament. The son of David, who is the fulfillment of prophesied kingship from David. We've talked about that, that, that the Lord told David, he made a promise to David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that David would have an heir that would sit on the kingdom throne forever. We love to hear children sing praises to Jesus, don't we? And children, when they're running through a house or a church, that's a sign of life. And that's the case here. But with all of this, the priests and the scribes, they can't handle this. And Matthew says that they become indignant. They're, they're angry and they're annoyed because they see Jesus as unworthy of all of this. Everything they had believed to this point and, and how they think Messiah should look doesn't match up with Jesus. Their intellectual pride, their standing in the community can no longer tolerate all this. Well, but Jesus knows this. And he quotes back to these priests and scribes a portion of Psalm 8. It's actually Psalm 8, verse 2, penned by none other than King David himself. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. And he asks them, have you never read this scripture? Can't you just see the reactions? Well, then Jesus leaves them and he goes out of the city to Bethany and he spends the night there. The Lord leaves the temple. The Lord leaves the temple. Boy, those are some frightening implications, aren't they? Well, there's a scene change and it's the next morning and Verse 18 reads that in the morning when Jesus was returning to the city, he becomes hungry, and seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he comes to it and finds nothing on it except leaves only. There's a fig tree, a lone fig tree by the road. It doesn't look to be a part of anyone's property. Jesus is hungry. Remember, Jesus, yes, he's all God, but He's all man. Jesus sees the tree. Jesus goes to the tree to have a fig. Now, personally, I'd probably be more about it if it was a fig Newton dipped in chocolate or had peanut butter slathered all over it. But anyway, Jesus goes to the tree to have a fig, and by the sight of the leaves, it looks healthy. But upon closer inspection, there's a problem. There's nothing growing on the tree. The tree gives the impressions of signs of life, but it's a false read. And at the very end of verse 19, Jesus says to the tree, No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Jesus curses the tree. No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. Is this the response of a man who has woken up on the wrong side of the bedroll and has left on a journey to, to Jerusalem without having any breakfast? Is Jesus just in a foul mood? 
does this point to the possibility that Jesus is just not a morning person? No, no, that's not the case. Jesus is all about communicating truths of the kingdom of heaven, and this is a kingdom encounter. It's almost like Jesus is saying, you have all the signs of abundant life. Why are you not producing? Well, in verse 20, the disciples, they, they observe all this, and they are amazed, and they ask Jesus, how did the fig tree wither all at once? Jesus answers them and says, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. We've seen this before. Maybe you remember Jesus talking about the size of someone's faith. We saw this back in Matthew chapter 17. In Matthew 17, verse 14, this man comes to Jesus and he falls on his knees and says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic and is very ill, and he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't cure him. And Jesus, he rebukes the demon. And the demon comes out of the boy, and the boy is cured at once. Well, the man had called out the disciples. Well, the disciples, they come to Jesus privately, and they, and they say to Jesus, Why could we not drive it out? And Jesus says to them, this is Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus says to them, Because of the littleness of your faith... For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. The littleness of your faith, and, and that statement, that occurs five times in the New Testament, and each time Jesus is rebuking this problem of failing to hear his voice. And that word for little faith, that describes someone dull to hearing the Lord's voice or someone who is simply flat disinterested in walking intimately with the Lord. That phrase, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, move from here to there and nothing will be impossible for you. Faith the size of a mustard seed... We've seen that the mustard seed, which is smaller than all the rest, can grow into such an entity with such a size that birds can build nests. Well, in the same way, faith, regardless of how small, faith, regardless of how small, through seeking God and the things of God, faith can be nurtured to seek those things that are seemingly impossible without God. And today in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus says to the disciples, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to the mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. What did we see back at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke at Christmas time when we're talking about the prophecies of the birth of Jesus? 
when Gabriel comes and, and brings Mary the news that she's going to be the mother of the Son of God. What do we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 37? Nothing is impossible with God. With God. And that's the key. That's the point that sometimes we miss. With God. And there's no better picture in the New Testament which describes a healthy, abundant life with God than in John's Gospel. It's on the night of Jesus' Last Supper with the disciples. And this begins in John chapter 14, starting with verse 12. John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then Jesus reveals how God does the impossible. In John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. What does the word abiding mean? Well, that means to dwell, to, to live, to remain. And in John chapter 14, verse 25, we read, Jesus saying, that these things I've spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but what I give to you. Well, then Jesus hits the gas pedal with this image of abiding in him. In the very beginning of chapter 15 of John, John chapter 15 verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Chapter 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them, and they cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. 
These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And then in John chapter 15, verse 26, we read, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. With Jesus from the beginning. With Jesus. With the Son of God. With God. With God. That's the point that sometimes we miss. We are able to embrace and to live the Spirit-filled life only, only, only by abiding in Him, communing with Him in prayer. And, and that's how Jesus began today when He cleansed the temple. My house shall be a house of prayer. We will only bear fruit with God. And fruit is a sign of life that is accurate. With the Spirit-filled life, there will be some type of fruit made manifest. We've seen that with the fig tree today and with Jesus talking about the fruit of the vine in John chapter 15. With the Spirit-filled life, there will be some type of fruit made manifest. What are some signs of the Spirit-filled life? Well, Paul gives us this well-known phrase, this well-known example in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and following. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that's just some of them. With God. Not just communing with God in prayer, but also in His Word. You see, there's something very special about the Word of God. Did you know that these words in this book we call the Bible are not simply words on a page? The Apostle Paul tells us in the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he says the following, All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, the, the child of God, the Christ follower may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. Hold on to that image for just a second. Hold on to that image while I flip back to the first book in the Bible, to the very beginning of creation. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The creation of man imbued with the very breath of God, the very life of God, God's word imbued with the very breath of God, the very life of God. Do you see the connection to an abundant, spirit-filled life? From God, abiding with God. With the spirit-filled life, there will be some type 
of fruit made manifest. Signs of life. In Matthew chapter 21, the main point is not for the disciples to be able to curse a tree that gives false readings of life or to move a mountain. For the disciples and for us, it's about having an abundant, spirit-filled life. And maybe today you're struggling with signs of life. Maybe, like we saw in the temple, you're used to the hustle and bustle of activity. But in all actuality, you're struggling. Maybe you're trying hard to look like a healthy fig tree. You know, full leaves, but no fruit. What did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit in John? The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Your joy may be made complete. Doesn't that sound good today? How do you get a refreshing of the Holy Spirit today? Well, first of all, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with the sin that is in your life. Paul, in his letter to Romans, explains how Jesus has made a way for us to have fellowship with God. And we have a broken fellowship with the Lord, and this is why everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And everyone needs salvation because everyone has sinned. And the price or the consequence of sin is death. But the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He paid the price. He paid the price for our sins by his death on the cross. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And we're able to receive salvation and eternal life through faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. And that well-known verse, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And salvation through Jesus brings us into that relationship of peace with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 tells us that, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Peace with God. That sounds good. That sounds good. And then... When life gets tough, not if life gets tough, but when life gets tough, we're able to remember all those promises of Jesus that we saw today in his word there in, in John chapters 14 and 15. That's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but what I give. And these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Your joy may be complete.